All right. So welcome to the Life Science Rundown. This is Nick Catman with the FDA Group. I am here with Chris Smith. Um, before we jump into our discussion today, which is going to be on pre-approval inspections, uh, just a little bit about the FDA Group. We help life science companies in the areas of quality assurance, regulatory affairs, clinical operations, commissioning, qualification, validation, as well as manufacturing and engineering. We have three engagement models, which are project-based, staff org, uh, and FTE recruitment. So if you ever find yourself in need, just head over to the FDAgroup.com and check us out and get in touch. So, Chris, thanks for joining me. Um, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So why don't um, why don't we start just um, with an introduction uh, introduction of yourself, and you can tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is. Sure. And why we yeah. should listen to you. <laughs> I don't know if my introduction will mean that you should listen to me, but I began my career with FDA uh, more than 40 years ago as an FDA investigator in the Detroit district office uh, after graduate school. And uh, I, uh, I did inspections. Um, and when you start with FDA as an inspector, you do inspections of everything that FDA does. So you do foods, you do drugs, you do biologics, you do medical devices, you do a little bit of everything. Um, the agency has changed in, in, in the, and they see a lot more specialization today. But uh, I spent uh, five years as an investigator. And that last year, the agency was offering them uh, an executive development program that they would do every 10, 15 years. I applied for that. I was one of seven people selected to uh, enter the program. It's a year long program where you shadow uh, senior level people in the agency and they're, and they're supposedly grooming you to, uh, grooming you to move up in the agency. Um, so it was a lot of fun. I spent that year in headquarters, which was then in Rockville, Maryland. And at the end of that, uh, doing lots of details under various people in medical devices and drugs and the commissioner's office. At the end of that year, I was offered a job in headquarters in the public affairs office. I was the first non-journalism major uh, back newspaper guy to, to work in public affairs. Uh, my mother was an English teacher, so they recognized that I had good writing skills, I guess. And uh, in that nice. office, I, I wrote a lot of speeches for the commissioner. I wrote a lot of uh, press releases for FDA, dealt with the press. Uh, was the, it was the days before Facebook and all the uh, social media that we have today, but it was a lot of fun. And uh, I spent a couple of years there. I was in the Congressional Affairs Office uh, for a couple of years, which meant I was basically a liaison between the agency and Capitol Hill. Spent a lot of time going back and forth between Rockville and, and downtown Washington, D.C., and meeting with congressional staffers and things like that. I uh, wrote congressional testimony for the commissioners uh, for various hearings on FDA issues. Um, I ended up working in the commissioner's office for a few years after that as essentially a special assistant. Uh, the, the office of the commissioner with the special assistants was called the exec sec, but that's where I was. And uh, one day I was actually driving uh, to, to D.C. To, for a meeting with, uh, with Congress on something with some congressional members with the commissioner in his car. And uh, he asked me about uh, some issues he was having with the public affairs office. And uh, I mentioned, I said, you know, I used to work there and uh, ended up being uh, promoted to deputy associate commissioner of public affairs. Um, very cool. That, that was, it was very cool. I liked it. I probably would have stayed with the agency my whole career. But after um, uh, about 13 years, my wife, uh, my late wife, had uh, finished graduate school at the University of Maryland. Uh, she had a wonderful job opportunity in, in Chicago. So she followed me to DC. I followed her back to Chicago. And uh, I went to work for Abbott Laboratories as director of regulatory affairs in their pharmaceutical division. So 
Uh, it was that transition from FDA into private industry uh, to big pharma, to be exact. And Abbott was a really good, I had a really good boss who really helped me with that transition. I kind of went from the, the qualities, more quality side of things and compliance side of things to the right to the, 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 the submission part of things, uh, filed new drug applications, filed IND applications, uh, set up meetings on drug development. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. But after four, four, uh, five years in Chicago and five Chicago winters, I missed, uh, we, we both missed the East Coast. We both didn't like the cold weather in the wintertime. And uh, frankly, I tell people all the time, I was kind of bored. Uh, FDA is a lot more like the contract business. You do a lot of things with lots of companies. You kind of don't know what's coming in the door, whether there's going to be a crisis tomorrow mm. or not. And uh, Abbott was a pretty scheduled company. With uh, You worked on the drug development projects that lasted five, six, ten years. And uh, mm. I wanted something else. And so I uh, looked around, and I found a little company down in Wilmington, North Carolina, called Applied Analytical Industries. It was a contract lab. It had 200 people. It wanted to grow. It wanted to get involved in other businesses. It had various clients, big pharma and small pharma. And uh, they hired me as the, as the vice president of regulatory and quality and to build a quality group, uh, to a uh, quality and regulatory group to help them offer that as a service and, uh, and help run the company. And uh, that was a lot of fun. I spent eight years there. We took the company public. We grew it to uh, about 1,400 people. Uh, we changed the name to AAI Farm. I actually have the shirt on right now. <laughs> Very nice. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I left there when things were going great to uh, join four other people and start a little company in women's health called Endeavor Pharmaceuticals. That was a, a, a two, three-year project. We had an NDA that was uh, about ready to get approved, and our private equity guys that owned the company uh, were offered to some uh, a bigger farmer came along and wanted to buy it. They wanted to be NDA and uh, they sold it. So we were all back out on the street. And I essentially kind of uh, decided I'd go out on my own then. And uh, I've been out on my own since then and uh, met up with you a few years ago. I've done quite a bit of work for the FDA group. It's been a lot of fun. Now I do a little bit of, I do a little bit of uh, consulting that involves audits. Uh, it's all pharmaceutical. That's been my focus uh, ever since leaving the agency is the pharmaceutical side of the world. Um, and uh, I do expert witness stuff for some law firms. Uh, I, do, I am the, I'm the U.S. agent on some regulatory filings like ANDAs and drug master files. Um, I've traveled all over the world, although that's stopped with the current pandemic situation. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of fun, but um, starting to think about retirement. Believe it or not, I'm, I'm, I'm past retirement age. I'm way past 65. So uh, I'm thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you, you're in control. So that's good. So um, the reason I wanted to um, talk about this is we get a lot of calls um, from companies that are getting ready for um, their pre-approval inspection. And, um, you know, we've done dozens upon dozens of mock PAIs and helping companies. And it, there's always kind of a, a, a sense I find that people don't always know what to expect. Um, so it sounds like there's, um, obviously, I think you and I, you know, know a lot about it, but I wanted to kind of get a, have a conversation and, and see if we could send it out there and just kind of, for people that are interested and, in, you know, they're going to be going through a, a PI soon, you know, what are, 
what are some of the things that they should know? You know, what are some of the nuances? What are some of the secrets? What are some of the, the cool things um, that you think that people that are, you know, ready to go into this should know? Well, I'm glad you used the word secrets because FDA would probably say, there's no secret about PAIs. We have uh, various guidances and programs out there and things on our website about, about inspections and you uh, out in the industry should educate yourself about them. Uh, so let's talk about that for a second. Uh, first off, uh, the agency has something called compliance program uh, guides. Uh, or, and, and you can go to their website and search in the search tool, you know, compliance program guides, and you'll be taken to pages that have it for devices and drugs and foods. Um, and uh, they, have, they have these guidelines that are they're aimed at educating their field and headquarters people about their different program requirements. So there'll be a section, for example, there's a guideline on a, a, a guide on drug manufacturing inspections, routine manufacturing inspections. It'll have a section on, on what the investigators should be covering during those inspections, what they need to write up in their report, uh, where the report goes when it's done. They have a section in there for the compliance officer that reviews it. Um, it. Based on the findings, here's the kind of recommendations you should make to headquarters if there are problems. Uh, what kind of samples should be taken, if samples should be taken at all. Uh, I shouldn't use the word taken, the FDA uses the word collected because they don't steal samples. <laughs> Um, so there's these guidance out there, uh, program guides out there, and they do have one on pre-approval inspections because pre-approval inspections are a little different than your general routine manufacturing inspection. Um, I've, I've uh, a little history here. When I was at FDA doing inspections, we were always kind of uh, uh, stymied by the disconnect between the field offices doing the field work and headquarters doing the approvals of new drugs, for example. And a great example happened uh, in Detroit, uh, Park Davis Pharmaceuticals used to be located in Detroit. Um, it, it has since been a company acquired and moved on like, the, but uh, we, we did an, I was part of an inspection group that did an inspection of, uh, of Park Davis's uh, new facility they had built to manufacture this new drug that was pending approval. It was a sterile product. And we found a number of problems that we didn't like. And we wrote up this inspection report and the company got a big 43 and they said they'd work on fixing these things. Uh, and about two days later after that report went into headquarters, there was a big press announcement in all the papers about Park Davis getting approval of this drug. And we kind of scratched our heads and went, why did headquarters approve this drug when there's all kinds of problems we just found with the, with the plant they're gonna make it in? Yeah. Because it was, there was a clear disconnect between headquarters and field. And so- in How'd that happen? Well, it just, it was that way when I started with the agency and it would continue to be that way. And it, it was 1999 about, I think it was 99, that FDA uh, said, well, we got to fix that. And um, they did a lot of things. They started sending uh, uh, people from headquarters, reviewers from, uh, from headquarters out into the field to accompany people on inspections or see what inspectors did. They uh, established the pre-approval inspection program which different than FDA just walking in the door and saying, I'm here to look at anything and everything and randomly I'll pick things. Uh, and, and I may want to look at the water system uh, this time and, and, and a couple of other systems, or I may want to focus on uh, the manufacturing operations. I may want to focus on the labs. It was very kind of, you didn't know what you were going to get. But um, this was a program that, that had some very specific objectives. Uh, one, they wanted to see whether what you said in your application 
was what you had really. Because uh, you know, if, the, if you turn around and filed your application that you've made 10 batches and here's the data on the batches and you're ready to manufacture and so approve me now, they wanted to see in fact, that is, you are ready. And, and all this stuff that you put in your application, the investigator is supposed to randomly look at the raw data that supports those things, those claims you made. Um, you know, stability is a great example of that, to look at raw stability data supporting what you said in your application, saying I have data to support a two-year expiration date. So that was one. Um, whether you were ready commercially, that if FDA was to approve you tomorrow, are you ready to go to market? It doesn't mean you have to, you don't have some time to then scale up your product, but you know, is the plant truly ready to make a commercial product or not? Um, and data integrity because all of a sudden uh, we started to see things with around the data integrity and, and that we're, we've seen a lot more since then. So uh, that, those three objectives were there under the pre-approval program. And I guess what's most important is, you know when they walked in the door to look, what they were gonna look at. It, you walk, they walk in the door and say, I'm here to do a pre-approval inspection for your pending application for such and such drug. So you know what they're gonna look at. Uh, it doesn't mean mm -hmm. that they can't get sidetracked and say, whoa, we found this problem over here and we're going to expand the, the investigation. But it is a very focused inspection on your application that's pending. Um, so that's a little bit different. Um, it, it's been a very successful program. Uh, now they, they've, they've over the years have done so many pre-approval inspections that uh, it's, it's, it's now they do, I think, I, I don't know if it's fewer drug routine manufacturing and general inspections because they, they realize we don't need to keep going back to the same place to do it to do another inspection they, they can waive inspections mm -hmm. uh, especially if yeah. they, the FDA maintains a database that uh, investigators when they do an inspection enter information into the database that says what they covered so for example mm -hmm. maybe maybe it's an inspection that just covered tablet operations but now they're now they're asking for for approval of a of a capsule product or a sterile product, and FDA may say, "Oh, we still need to go back. We've never covered that before at this plant." Um, mm -hmm. So, so they do have a database where the investigators can at least look to see what what's been covered and what's not, and help them make decisions about what they should go back and look at, or whether the inspection gets waived. Um, the, technically, the the inspections uh, they still don't have to be um, uh, announced ahead of time. But FDA has the right to walk into your plant and want to do an inspection at any time that you're in operation. But uh, the agency has gotten to do a lot more stuff by calling people and setting it up. It's, uh, they have found it's kind of a waste of everybody's time to, to show up at the plant and find out that everybody that dealt with that project is on vacation this week. Um, and particularly for foreign inspections, since today, so many of our drugs come from outside the United States. A lot of, well, I can tell you that uh, the last couple of years, more than half of FDA's drug inspections have been done outside the United States. And of course, mm -hmm. FDA has no legal authority outside the US. Um, if a drug firm wants to say, I'm not gonna let you do an inspection, they have every right to do that. Of course, FDA then has every right to say, then we're not gonna approve your drug. Uh, that's kind of right. how it works. <laughs> so, but it's a little different. Uh, the inspection's the same, but the process is different. They do uh, work to, uh, through the U.S. Embassy in the country. They do have to notify the country that federal investigator is going to show up here. Um, they they uh, they do uh, they do issue a notice of inspection and they do issue 43s. But um, they're willing to work with uh, 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 translators if need be. Uh, so it's a little different because a little more dipl di diplomacy is uh, is used in the foreign inspections than I think in the local inspections. Yeah. 
And I think here in the U.S. Uh, one thing I was, go, go ahead. It, I was just going to say one thing I was thinking of, right? Uh, while you're talking is um, I'm really interested in kind of things that people don't know or haven't, haven't seen yet. And you were talking about the inspections. And one thing that I came across, I don't know if you are aware of this. Have you seen FDA's new dashboard? New what? The dashboard. Oh, the dashboard. I've not really looked at it. I'm aware that they've got this dashboard out there. So what I can do, since we're on Zoom, is I can actually share my screen. Because I think, you know, again, in in the whole idea that we want to show people things that they might not have seen before, um, this is their dashboard. I go here mm-hmm. probably once a week, and there's different things that you can look at. Um, if my internet will work. Um, but while this is loading, um, the, the places I go, they have one section for inspections, and then they have one for um, recalls that I typically right. go to. Right. So you can see actually right here, inspections and recalls. So right. um, maybe what I'll do is I'll, I'll just put this back on the shelf because it's having some connectivity problems and let you continue. But at some point, once this starts working, and interestingly enough, every time I go here, this is. I, I said it was because of my connection. It's not. Um, yeah. It actually has nothing to do with my internet because um, every time I go here, and for anybody that's listening, you're going to notice this. When you get here, you can't just scroll down. It pauses for some reason. So you have to like kind of hang up here and go like this, or the, the data below won't load. So this is... Um, you can see the inspections over time, domestic and foreign, classifications, yep. um, top citations. And um, I don't know how new this is, but this is really, really good information. Well, what's, what's, new, is, what's new is the fact that they're posting it to their website. It goes back to, to something we said at the very beginning of our conversation that, that uh, it's, it's, it's not a secret that there's a lot of information out there for people to see what FDA is looking at, to see what the top citations are, to see how many inspections are being done. Um, they've, they've gotten really good at putting more and more stuff on their website, uh, even if it is some, sometimes hard to find. I think the search, we all complain that the search tool isn't very good on FDA's website. But uh, once you figure out some of the things they have, they do have a lot of data, uh, have created a lot of databases so that you can see what's going on. Um, they used to do annual things like they'd have certain reports to Congress that they owed, so they'd collect this information. Uh, but nowadays, it's it's they'd be, they're much more transparent with the world on all this information that they've got. Mm. Um, you know, and the compliance programs I mentioned that there are educational for people to look at for to prepare for help to prepare themselves for inspection. As I, there's also lots of guidance documents. Of course, the ICH, the whole ICH initiative over the past many years now uh, to harmonize uh, regulatory authority, uh, um, not only inspections, but the filings themselves worldwide. Uh, FDA is part of that whole initiative. The FDA has adopted many of the, uh, the ICH guidelines. Um, they, are, they are not something that is law or regulation. So if you're, if you're preparing for an FDA inspection, you should know that the FDA inspector is there to, to inspect you versus 
your application and good manufacturing practices, uh, good clinical clinical practices, things like that, but not guidance documents. Guide the, the, the ICH documents, NFDA's own guidance documents do not have the force of regulation. So they're not supposed to write you up 43 observation because you didn't follow an ICH guidance. However, you know, if if I if I if FDA has has adopted uh, an ICH guidance as one of its own, and they've done that in many cases, uh, they usually link it to some reason, some guide, some regulatory requirement, and that's what they write you up mm-hmm. for, is you're not meeting the current regulatory standards, current being the main, main word here. Um, and yeah. of course, today, a lot of other uh, guidance documents are out from, from other regulatory agencies. I think it's very useful to watch and see what the EMA is doing in Europe, to watch and see what Health Canada is doing, um, to help watch and see what Envisa is a, is a big one that people watch because they've got some really good documents out there. A little harder with Japan because uh, everything's in Japanese, um, but uh, you can get things translated, but it's a little more difficult. But but it's good to learn if you're a, a if you want to see what inspectors in general are looking at, whether you're uh, just a U.S. firm or whether you're a global firm. Um, and of course, the, the industry itself, the generic drug industry, uh, the, there's the, the pharmaceutical uh, associations for each of the industries. There's the PDA that focuses on sterile products and has lots of guidance and technical reports out. Uh, so there's lots of things out there. Some of these things cost money. The ICH documents are all mm-hmm. free, uh, but they're all things that people can use to help prepare them for an inspection. What are some of the biggest misconceptions you've seen when you're working with companies that are getting ready for uh, PAI? Um, well, I think they, 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 they forget what FDA's job is sometimes. I mean, it's, it, what used to be common, especially when I was an inspector, for, for if, you, if an inspector finds something wrong, or at least in his or her opinion, they said, we don't think this is meeting the regulation, then the next question from the firm, and it doesn't hurt to ask, is, well, how, what should I do? How should I do it? What would you do? And investigators are all told, you know, don't don't go down that road of recommending things to people because, for one, if mm-hmm. it doesn't work, you're going to get blamed. And it's not the agency's job. Uh, the agency's job is to they they are, as I tell people all the time, they're policemen. They're they're cops on the beat. It's the same thing as that cop. See, pulling you over and saying you ran a red light or a stop sign and you say, no, I, I stopped. And he says, you, you didn't stop and you write your ticket. The 483 is the ticket. You have a, you have a right then yeah. for your, your day in court. Um, they don't, yeah. they don't, it's very clear that FDA people are just like the bell-shaped curve. There are some really nice guys out there and there are some really guys that aren't so nice. Yeah. They have personalities. Yeah. They get bad days when they yeah. get up on the wrong side of the bed. Um, you yeah, can we call them. them I, I call them the rogue rogue inspectors. Yeah, right. Because I, I get I get calls every once in a while, and you know, just commenting on your your thing about um, you know, it's not FDA's job to tell you how to do something. Um, you know, uh, it's not uncommon that I'll get a call and they'll say, "I've been in business for 25 years and I've never had a problem." And now somebody came in and gave me a 483 with all these observations. And I say, is it a new in, in, uh, inspector? And they say, yeah. So, you know, it, it's uh, another thing is just from a liability standpoint, because different people are going to look at the same thing differently. And if, 
if FDA all of a sudden started giving recommendations and then another uh, inspector investigator comes in and says something different, you know, then it could get really messy. Sure, and, 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 and FDA people hopefully mature as they do their job over a number of years. I mean, I've, I've become friends with people that became uh, international inspectors at FDA and, and, and traveled the world doing inspections. Of course, they, they t- that tends to have you learn a little diplomacy when you start dealing with people in other countries and other cultures, which is good. Hopefully they apply mm-hmm. that at home. I think uh, there are some inspectors that tend to be a little more hardcore when they're when they're younger and and want to show want want some stripes on their sleeve, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I think for sure. I think, I think there's certainly some pressure to come back and, and show that you're finding things wrong. Um, so that's kind of a problem, particularly if the firm's a really good firm. Um, I think I think uh, with with age, uh, we all get a little more pragmatic about what's important and what's not. Uh, so some inspectors want to write you up for everything and some kind of say, I recommend you take a look at this, but I'm not going to write you up for it. The same way that cops can say, I'm not going to write you a ticket for this, but hey, slow down. So there's some pragmatism yeah. there. Um, but yeah. a lot of that comes also from the attitude the firm has. Um, I think to, to their benefit, I think industry today is a lot more transparent, a lot more cooperative. Um, I mean, I can remember the days when you walked in the plant uh, it was very typical that the first person you met is the lawyer. The general counsel showed you around the firm or some lawyer. You weren't allowed to talk to operators. You weren't allowed to talk to lab analysts. You, every, you had asked the question to the lawyer and, they, and you went back and forth. They were very stilted inspections. Um, mm. Because as the lawyers know, it's still true today. They would say, this is a, this is a legal matter. We, we have to be careful about what we say and how we say it because it could be used against us in court, so to speak. Um, but mm-hmm. I think nowadays it's a, it's way more cooperative, uh, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, and there's and, and yeah, there's for sure, a lot more transparency about what's going on. Uh, it's not it's, it's less less secretive, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to hop hop on my comment about the secrets. What um what other misconceptions do you find are common when you're when you're helping people? Well, I, I think people are, are have a lot more fear than they need to have. Uh, certainly, if you if you know you've got a lot of problems and you've done a lousy job of, of uh, training your people or you've got problems in the lab, the last thing you want is those problems to be discovered. And uh, and so you, I meet people that are, well, I'm really worried about FDA coming in. Well, you want to say you shouldn't be worried if you're doing everything right. Um, mm. You And, and, and a, a misconception is that you can't disagree with the agency. Um, you know, if, if, you are, if you are doing things right, if you think you've got good science, if you think you've made a good decision, even if the FDA person disagrees with that decision, um, that doesn't mean they're right either. Uh, you have, like I said, you have your chance, even if they, uh, well, first of all, you have a chance to avoid them writing it up in a 483 because you can sit there and tell them, no, I, I disagree with you and here's why, and have that intelligent conversation. Um, I mean, until they write the ticket, you might be able to get out of it, so to speak. Um, mm. And 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 I think that's that's that brings you to something that it's that's uh, brings me to say there's there's something that's very important that I find is a big weakness in the industry, is doing investigations not just doing them but writing them. We we the, the fact that companies have deviations and problems and I mean that it's always going to happen. FDA knows it. Uh, machines break. P 
people make mistakes. Uh, equipment in the lab goes down, an experiment goes wrong. Oh my God, we, this whole sample, the, the data are wrong. Um, that's understandable. Uh, you don't, don't hide it. What you gotta do is document what happened. And do you have procedures in place to cover what happened? Do you, I mean, FDA expects an investigation and then put a corrective action in place to try to make it not happen again. Um, sometimes they're unavoidable when machines just, a part breaks on a machine. Sometimes if it's, uh, if it's because you're not maintaining your machine and servicing it properly, then you, know, you can service it better. Um, but that, that's, those, are, those are things, when I, what I see is a lot of times we miss the point, we in industry miss the point that an FD inspector doesn't know your systems, doesn't know your people, doesn't know your equipment. They've got some limited time to come in and make some judgments. They typical question might be to ask you, I'd like to see your logbook or, or database or whatever it is of your last uh, 10 out of spec investigations in your laboratory. Because they know darn well mm -hmm. your lab is probably going to have things that didn't go right. Um, right. So you look at them and people have heart, oh my God, I don't want to show it to them. Uh, you should be fine. If you're, you're, your, your investigation should be written up such that you hand it to the investigator, you walk them through it or let them read it on their own, they should read it, whether it's one page or 25 pages, they should get to the end of it and go, wow, I know exactly what happened. You handled it right. Everything's perfect. Rather than have 50 mm -hmm. questions because they don't understand, poorly written. We get really close to the things in our, in our manufacturing. Like, this happens all the time, so here's what we do or uh, it, we write things up very briefly. Um, it, it's, um, it's, it, we understand the terminology. We understand the acronyms that we use in our company. Uh, we, un we understand the procedures we, re we refer to. It really helps to remember you're writing for somebody who doesn't work in your company, who doesn't understand mm. this, who, doesn't, who yeah. hasn't been working with this machine for the last 10 years. So maybe they don't even understand yeah. how the machine works. So you need to explain yeah. that for, for a lay person. Yeah. So that when they're they're comfortable that you really know what you're doing, you're not hiding anything, uh, your people understand the, the importance of what they're investigating. Those are really key things for for uh, for any inspection, whether it's a PAI or yeah. inspection. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I, I never really um, considered that when you're when you're doing an investigation, you have to think about when you're who's the audience that you're mm -hmm. writing this up for. That's that's a really really it's, good insight. I like that. It's the it's the same thing I tell people about 43s. Okay, so you get a 43, mm -hmm. and everybody's worried about. I, I, there's a joke among me and a couple of my colleagues about how people we always talk about the number of 43. We got a one item 43. We got a, we, it was only three items. Um, we had one. We were in a conference. I was with this one guy who used to work for me, and and the person said we only got a one item 43 and he and he said well if the one item is you don't have a quality a working functional quality assurance unit that's kind of serious <laughs> or what if i write down yeah. the company doesn't follow gmps that's kind of one item i wouldn't want so it's kind of a yeah <laughs> but um, yeah. people worry about that what the 43 says uh and they worry about F fda tends to say you know we, we we'd like to see a response in 15 days and sometimes it takes longer to craft a good response but you can always respond with what you can uh, make your make yeah. some commitments to when you'll come back and it, just the same way with investigations write up 43 responses when you communicate back to fda um, don't just write briefly like you're talking to the inspector in the room that wrote the 43 observation the inspector clearly knows what he's writing up. 
but that 483 response is going to get written, uh, going to get re read by people at the district office who weren't in your plan. Maybe get sent in the headquarters to review by people who don't know much about your firm at all, whether you have a good reputation or a bad reputation. So you need to again, you have an opportunity to lay out your argument about the what what happened. The inspector missed some points, or there was a misunderstanding, or there's more to the story, and say that and explain it so that somebody reading it that, that doesn't know anything about it gets a really clear picture. Um you know, I, again, because we get a lot of calls from companies that have received warning letters, um, you know, one of the things that I always find interesting is the 15-day uh, timeline you have to respond. And, you know, I, I always felt like that was pretty short. It is. Um, and, you know, if, if it were me and I, you know, had any sort of power or say in the matter, I think it should be 30, 45 days. Um, but, you know, the thing is, is that there's nobody there fighting for that because when you've gotten a warning letter, the limelight is on you and you want it off you as fast as possible. You don't care about the fact that it was kind of unreasonable to, in terms of what the FDA is expecting, to put all that stuff together in 15 days. And I know you can file for an extension and all that kind of stuff, but I want to kind of get your opinion on that because it's a it's a common conversation I have is oh, that 15 day timeline. I agree with you. I mean, I agree with you, and, and it's even more ironic and unfair that you know we all we all see that FDA warning letters it can take them months, months, and months to issue a warning letter based on an inspection that occurred way earlier. That sometimes people are surprised, mm -hmm. although FDA would say you shouldn't be surprised. Um, and it certainly takes them an inordinate amount of time, uh, in many cases, to get the establishment inspection report that the that the investigator wrote up, a copy to you. Um, I mean, some people have waited a year for inspection reports for inspections that had no no issues. Um, mm. That's it's kind of inexcusable, um, but but it happens routinely. Um, and also, to, to close out something, but once once you do respond whether it's a 43, just a 43 item or whether it gets escalated to a warning letter situation. Um, if, you, if you are a responsive firm, you expect FDA also to be responsive and tell you what your status is. Have you, are you closing this out? Is it you got problems? Are you gonna come back and do an inspection? And the agency I think is, uh, is not very good at uh, following up and letting you know what's going on. Uh, the kind of mm. news is good news belief among some, some people, but I don't, I don't think that's necessarily true. Um, right. it's, a, it's a workload issue. FDA is, uh, has areas where they're overworked, just like people in the industry are, but uh, it's, it's kind of inexcusable and it's kind of ironic given that their demands for, for you to respond to them much more quickly. Yeah. Actually, another thing um, that I find, um, and I don't know if you see the same thing, but um, I, I, I sometimes am surprised at how lackadaisical some people can be after they've received a warning letter. I don't know. It, it seems oftentimes that they don't understand the severity of it. Have you seen that? Um, I would, I would say not normally, normally, because I guess by the time somebody's calling me, it's because they are kind of panicked over it. So I haven't seen mm. that, but I'm sure it happens. 
Um, but warning letters, well, one of the things the agency does say is they don't understand why companies would be surprised by getting a warning letter. Yeah, because as you know, there's probably, uh, it's usually not just based on one inspection, it's based on some history. You know, we've been back, we've been back there a couple of times. We see these continued problems. You were warned about this four years ago. Um, they might, in the warning letters, cite a particular, the last inspection that occurred, but you know, they don't, they're, they're not, they don't write warning letters just based on a couple of 43 items. Um, so, you, and, and they, they, they will say, agency will say, look at in your responses, we've generally gone back and forth on your responses to whatever the 43 items were uh, and told you that we were not pleased with the responses or we thought they were inadequate. So uh, if you get that warning letter, it shouldn't be a surprise that we've escalated this because we're not happy. Um, but the warning letters are serious, as you said, uh, they usually end with some kind of language about you know, they have the ability to stop approving your products, to stop allowing you to bring your products to the United States if you're a foreign firm. Uh, some serious, there's some serious repercussions that the agency can, 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 uh, can put on you. Uh, and a warning letter is kind of the start of that. Um, yeah. you know, the, the warning letter kind of warns you that they're, they're, the next step is to go to court and you don't want to do that if you can. And I'm surprised as, a, as an old FDA investigator, I'm kind of surprised that nowadays they even recommend that you hire an outside consultant or a firm to come in and help I, you clean up. <laughs> I, 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 I can't tell you how many times um, I've reviewed warning letters and that is, is included in there. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, but it, you know, again, I, it, uh, obviously, I mean, we're we're happy that they put that in there because sure. it helps us. <laughs> but but at the end of the day, you know, what 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 are we all trying to do here, right? What we're we're trying to allow companies to manufacture and sell and distribute um, treatments and cures and um, you know all of these uh, healthcare products so that we the public can be healthy, right? And, but, you know, you can't just go and do whatever you want to do. You know, the, the, the most extreme example I use when I'm trying to explain this to people is you can't make, make pills in your bathtub, right? I mean, there's, there's got to be some sort of controls here um, so that we can ensure the safety of these products when we go to market. So now we're at a point where the company's out of control. And it's not necessarily that the FDA wants to prove that they're smart and the company's bad or anything like that. They, they're just saying, look, you're not, you're not in a controlled state and you need to get there. And uh, I think the FDA has kind of got to the point where they know that those companies that are entering into warning letters and hire an outside firm that knows what they're doing is going to help everybody. Right. It's going to help the company get to a compliant state so that they can sell their products to the public, knowing that it's going to be safe. And the FDA doesn't want to have to go through this continuous circle of, you know, reinspections and having to go to court. That, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to say it as clearly as possible. You, you've got to change things. And, you know, our experience over time has been that if you contract with a firm, like the FDA group to help you fix things. Um, it's just going to help everybody and it's going to get us back to the baseline, which is you're an independent company manufacturing products, selling them to the public so that, you know, we can be treated.
That's de definitely true that the agency is not out to shut people down. Um, they're not out to take products off the market. Um, they're, they're out to keep businesses running and people employed and all that kind of stuff. They're not, they don't want to be the mean guys on the block. Um, and and your, your example of, of somebody calling you saying, you know, I don't understand. I've, I've, done, I've done this. Nobody's brought this up before and I'm surprised. I've seen that quite a bit, particularly tends to be smaller, a lot of times family-owned businesses, um, where, yeah, they've, they've, they've uh, you know, the, the father or grandfather started the business. Uh, now the, the, the son or grandson's running it. It's a family business. They've got, they've, they've, they've grown a little bit. They've got a couple hundred employees. They're making three or four products. Everything's fine. Uh, FDA's been in a few times, but they were low priority. And uh, maybe they got away with some stuff. And, you know, all of a sudden yeah. they, they got somebody that came in some, all of a sudden with a team, because FDA does do a lot more stuff with teams nowadays, instead of the one lone investigator. Uh, or somebody new, because, you know, especially out in the, in the, away from the bigger cities where FDA has resident posts, you get people that are are um, used to going in uh, the, to the same plant every couple of years, and they, you get to know one another. It's, it's it's so you all of a sudden get somebody that's new, and the agency nowadays does a lot more of moving people. Not not currently with the pandemic, but I'll say nowadays, meaning before the pandemic, of having somebody do an inspection. Who hey, you're you're based in California, but we're going to send you to to Connecticut to do an inspection. You're totally new to the area. You don't know anybody. And they tend to walk in and say, wow, I can't, I can't believe that this is going on and write you up. And then the company's all surprised. Of course, it's like saying to the cop again, I always go, I always go 90 miles an hour down the street. <laughs> well, <laughs> this time it doesn't make it right. This time you got caught. Um, so, you know, yeah. clean it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that you said that because I've actually seen that a lot too, and I never really connected the dots, but a lot of the firms that we're seeing that are in this position is just what you said. It was run by a parent who then passed the business down to the, to the child and who's obviously a, a man. But um, I think it, 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 it's not uncommon for me to interact with those new business owners and they, they just don't really seem to get it. You know, it, it, it seems like the whole idea of, you know, culture quality is non-existent. It's almost as if they want to see how fast they can go, you know, without, you know, getting hurt and or slapped on the wrist. And then once they do get a 43 or a warning letter, Again, I think it kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the taking it serious. They just say, oh, I got a warning letter. You know, uh, I want to spend as little money as possible just to get this nuisance away from me. And I think you know, that's, that's and a lot of times if I'm seeing that type of reaction, it, 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 it does go to what you said. It's, it's somebody that's gotten the business from a parent and they just don't seem to really get it. Well, a number of scenarios. They've, they've, that's a scenario uh, that where they kind of everything was floating along fine, and they're they're making their money off of it, so they really don't put the effort in to learn more or keep current. Um, you get startup companies now that are um, a lot of times started by an academic person or an MD that's that's involved in research and and, and thinks he or she you know has the cure for something, um, and 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 the. And they don't they don't get the whole picture of drug development or the importance of manufacturing. I find 
I don't mean to slam, slam uh, uh, clinicians, but clinicians focus on, but this is important to give this drug to this perfect because I think it works to, to help them. That's their focus. They're not focused on the manufacturing side. That's like, yeah, some the chemist puts stuff in a pot and they mix it up and make a pill. How, how hard can that be? Um, yeah. There's, there's, and the agency looks at this as just as important because if you don't make the product correctly, you're not going to cure the person if indeed it's supposed to work. So I see, I see companies run by people that don't have an appreciation, especially the real small startups that are tended to be focused on the, the, the cure they've got, this idea that this, this, gonna, this drug's gonna cure this disease or treat this, uh, this disease. They're not focused on the manufacturing piece, which is just as important to FDA. Um, and so they hire, some, they hire some manufacturing guys and they hire a couple of quality guys and say, yeah, take care of that contract over this, making mm-hmm. it for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's another thing I've seen that's that's actually kind of scary is we'll go in and look at the CV of the person responsible for quality. They're not qualified, <laughs> you know, and um, that, that's always an interesting conversation to, to have, yeah. you know. So, um, well, of course, time yeah. is... Well, I was going to say, uh, t- talking about inspections, um, one of the things today, since we are in this pandemic, is um, FDA has been doing a lot more. Well, they, they stopped doing the traveling. They're doing a lot more of what they call uh, remote regulatory assessments, which is uh, technically not an inspection. They don't issue a notice of inspection. They don't do 483s because it's done remotely. Uh, but companies have been, I think they're getting more used to it. The companies have been kind of surprised over this past summer when they get these, uh, they get a call from the FDA and, a, and then a long email or a letter with uh, a request for access to a whole bunch of documents um, that, that, that the company may set up a share file through Zoom or something like that. Uh, the agency, just like everybody else, is trying to still keep going and doing inspections. They are different. Uh, there's nothing like being in the plant, <laughs> but... Uh, they're trying, and uh, and I think the industry is struggling as well. Uh, but has uh, I've done quite a few remote inspections myself. I find industries learning how to do them. We're all learning how to be more transparent because uh, in the olden days, you kind of you, you, when you you were always taught if they ask the question, you answer the question, but don't offer up anything else. And now it's uh, okay. We'll give you access to all of our SOPs and move forward, uh, which is a little bit more transparent and keep things moving along. And uh, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're all gonna learn the, the new normal, I think. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Um, speaking of that, we, um, we do um, uh, webinars probably once every uh, two to three months. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's always about the same number of attendees that we get every every webinar until our most recent one, um, which the, the, the total attendance uh, quintupled. It was the, the most highly uh, attended um, uh, webinar that we've had. And again, I'm just going to share my screen real quick again. Um, it's practical advice for planning and hosting remote life sciences. So this is actually on our website and um, anybody can go to our website and download it for free. So, um, you know, if and when anybody's got questions about this, um, 
I would encourage you to go and, and download this and uh, I think I think it would be useful. So we definitely are in the new normal. Yep. Yeah. So, all right, well, I think like the time has flown and it's it's Friday evening, so I don't want to keep you much longer. What um what would you say is kind of the last thing that you'd want to you know throw out and 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 tell people? Well, I think don't be afraid of an FDA inspection. Um, I mean, if you're really afraid that of, of FDA walking in the door, that kind of says something about why are you afraid? Are you if if you're if you're if you're afraid because you're you're afraid of what your people are going to say, then train your people. If you're afraid because they're going to see the problems that are in your lab or in manufacturing or wherever, then fix the problems first. Um, uh, like and, and and educate yourself on on what FDA looks at in inspections. You can, as as you've showed uh, here today, there's there's a the databases you can look at FDA's what FDA is looking at and where they're finding the problems. Um, you can uh, you can certainly. You have to recognize that FDA can ask anything when they walk in the door and go in any direction. I think uh, also that that the team approach, if you're a sterile manufacturer, for example, FDA may send in a microbiologist who specializes in looking at the, at the micro labs supporting your sterile manufacturing. They may send an engineer that's going to look at your water system and your piping systems and your air systems and how they're designed, um, which uh, your routine run-of-the-mill investigator isn't an engineer to look at all that stuff. Um, they mm -hmm. may send in a chemist. Um, so the, 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 a, a reviewing chemist from headquarters who's actually looked at your app, is looking at your application, may accompany the team and have questions based on what he or she has seen in what you filed in your application. So, uh, and they, all get, they also can go in 10 different directions when they walk in the door, which is, makes it harder for you to, to manage them, so to speak. But don't be afraid work with the agency. Don't be afraid to say, uh, when they say, I want to look at such and such this morning, say, can we do it? Can we do it in three hours? Can we do it tomorrow morning? Or the guy we really want you to, to, to tour that part of the facility with is on vacation today. I mean, there's that balance with wanting to be cooperative and not looking like you're hiding something, of course, with also just being honest. And if you come across as honest and wanting to say, I want this inspection to be successful and I'm trying to work with you to make it as successful as possible, there's an opportunity to do that. And I think that most of the good inspectors with the agency are, are willing to work with you to make a successful inspection. They're not out to yeah. down. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome advice. Um, Chris, thank you so much for hopping on. This was really interesting and, and hopefully everybody that, that watches um, finds it useful. Um, so if, if you're watching and, and you find conversations like this valuable, um, please share it with a colleague or your professional network. Uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to get updates of new episodes at thefdagroup.com. Um, and uh, connect with us if you have any needs. Um, head over to thefdagroup.com and get in touch with us. Feel free to connect with me personally, LinkedIn. And uh, Chris, again, thanks very much. Have a great weekend. Thank you, you too.